On this episode of Teched Out by Fullstack Academy, Corey and I welcome Fullstack instructor Karen McPherson to talk to us about the DOM. We discuss using JavaScript to change the content of a web page and how modern tools like React allow us to build full-featured web apps like Facebook and Google Maps. What's going on, uh, Jeff? Hi, Jeff. Hey, Corey. Hey, are you the only one here right now, Jeff? <laughs> Yep, it's the just only, me. It's just you in this room, Jeff. Jeff like, it's just I think I hear Jeff. Jeff. someone hey, else. Listen, get out of my <laughs> head. Um, so Jeff is here, but uh, more and definitely more importantly, we have a guest today, actually, which is pretty exciting. Uh, woo! You know, applause <laughs> sounds come from the podcast. Yeah, that's great, uh, and. Right, we're very excited to have her on this show. Uh, so welcome, please, Karen. So Karen McPherson. McPherson? McPherson. 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 Ferson. 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 Fur. 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 Okay. Ma- Karen McPherson. The son of Macfur. The son of Macfur. Nothing related to the computer, the Mac, uh, or the animal covering fur. Uh, but the combination of the, that was so dumb. All right, we're going to cut that. Definitely going to cut that. Uh, so, so Karen McPherson, and, uh, she's another instructor here at Full Stack Academy. We're really excited to have her today because we're going to be talking about the browser in greater detail. We're going to talk about sort of the evolution of the browser, uh, and, and, and more importantly, the DOM. Now, this is something that we haven't talked about really yet. We talked about the three major components of the browser, right? We talked about HTML. We talked about, which is, remember, the content on the page. We talked about CSS, that was the styling of the web page, right? How things like look or organized on the page. And then we had the JavaScript. And the JavaScript was the interactivity or the logic of the page. But the question becomes, how does that JavaScript actually interact with the content? And that's why we brought Karen in, uh, who is going to be sort of our expert on the DOM today. And we're going to talk about this really complicated issue that sort of evolved uh, over the course of the last couple decades. So... You know, one thing I wanted to go over really quick was how does this all fit into the client server cycle? Like where where do we where do we start to care about the DOM and where is it because like is it just JavaScript? Is it something that we focus on? Like where can you kind of like organize our thoughts on where we should be thinking about this? Before we dive into this too deep, Karen, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah please do Corey's that. just really <laughs> eager to jump right into the content for today. That's what we call him eager Corey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Now I have a nickname. <laughs> now I have finally have a nickname. <laughs> you earned it. He's an intense person, which is great. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm so glad to be on this podcast today and meet all of you wonderful listeners. Um, I am, as Corey said, an instructor here at Full Stack Academy and the Grace Hopper program. And um, yeah, I don't know a whole lot what more to say here? I have a background in biology and um, actually went through the full stack program about two and a half years ago. And it allowed me to change my career from working with stem cells inside of fat tissue, was, which was really cool. Gotta, gotta admit that. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Got to clone some things. That's always wow. interesting. Maybe we could have a bioinformatics episode in the future yeah so stay tuned for that um next season perhaps we'll see and we're wrapping uh, up yeah (laughs) yeah are you the real karen or a clone of the real karen you'll never know wouldn't you like to know the answer to that question (laughs) jeff i sure would (laughs) i'd like to know in case we can get two karens on the show because i feel like then 
that would well, like advertise itself. You know, that would <laughs> that would uh, that would have a whole bunch of ethics concerns, I guess. But you know, it would be cool. What if it was consensual Karen cloning? I just really wanted. Who do you need cons- <laughs> to like, have doppelgangers? Like, need consent from yourself, I guess. I think you need consent from the clone. The clone, but yeah. <laughs> how can you get consent from the clone before it is created? It's. Yeah, this, this is, is a problem. These are the questions that are left sort of <laughs> unanswered. Um, so let's, am I allowed to be eager, Corey, now? Mm-hmm. Am for I it. allowed to be eager, yep. Corey? That's well, we're really happy to have Karen on the show, and I'm sorry I was so eager that I just, I was like, <laughs> I need her answers. No. Uh, so, yeah, so we're excited to have Karen, and, and, and I want to kind of ground us here. I want to talk about what are you thinking in terms of the browser and what kind of led to this starting? What's the problem mm-hmm. at hand? Great. So a few episodes ago, I know y'all talked in depth about servers and you went a little bit into this relationship between the server and the client. So a server being a program that is sitting and listening for incoming requests and is able to then do some work and send a response back. Um, but we haven't really talked about what's sending the request and doing something with the response. But more specifically today, I want us to talk about when the browser, who we're assuming is the client in this situation, sends this request and gets a response. A lot of time, this is going to have some data in it that is the HTML. So HTML is just text, though, right? It's just um, laying out how the page should look. but there's actually not much information in there on like, okay, I need to actually have this converted into something that a user can see, and then that I can manipulate as the developer, that I can um, move things around and make it interactive. It's All just, it's just sent, content. It's just content, uh. it's just text. Mm. Um, in fact, anything we send over um, an HTML res- or HTTP response is just going to be text. Like we can't send actual like JavaScript code, like because that's a process that's being executed. We can only send like text. That's that's pretty wild. So mm-hmm. like every time we ask a server for something, every time you type something in your URL bar, whatever is coming back to you is just text. And only it's, text. And it's the responsibility mm-hmm. of our browser to sort of parse that and put it together into that crazy visual form that we see. Exactly. And so the first thing the browser is going to do is it's going to take that HTML text and it's going to run through it line by line. And it's going to create essentially objects of each of those elements. So in HTML, it's built up of elements. So you might have a div, which is like a rectangle that can be block level. In fact, everything is a rectangle. Let's just start with that. Um, And you might have a list element. You might have um, the unordered list. You might have a paragraph. It goes line by line and takes these and is going to create something called a node out of it. And so a node is this object representation of all of the different attributes and features of that element. And it's going to be those nodes that the browser is going to take and it knows how to render those nodes because it's no longer just text. It now has more information associated with it. So the DOM, which is today's mm, topic, right. it stands for Document Object Model. Uh, so if you think of taking these nodes or these objects and having it be a model for the view that the user is going to end up seeing. Right. Um, this is cool because then it allows us to interact with it, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later. So so essentially when we get back these, this, these string of stuff, 
our browser parses it, kind of splits it up into this HTML, maybe gathers some more information like mm -hmm. the styles, the CSS, and the, the JavaScript and right. interactivity. But by default, the HTML is just some words on a page that has some default rules to it, right? Um, one way I like to think about this is sort of like a Microsoft Word document, right? <laughs> it's sort of like, if we wanted to write code, could we read and write to a Microsoft Word document? And the answer is by default, no, right? Like I couldn't just like take some value in a document and then and then like manipulate it and then just put it back in the document. It's not in code form. It's sort of like a different language, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I'm writing code in JavaScript or Ruby or whatever language I might be using, that's the language itself. That code is sort of locked into the framework that we're working in. And Microsoft Word has its own kind of word processing sort of pseudo language that saves into this document format. But what we could do is sort of create some intermediary, right? We could create something that, that steps in between us and Microsoft Word, something that allows us to read from a document. Maybe then once it's in, once we've read it and we've converted it into our language, into our JavaScript, we can actually use it and interact with it. And then when we're done with it, we can save it back to that file. But in no time can we directly manipulate the file. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what the DOM allows us to do because it's a lot easier to manipulate these objects, these nodes, then like go in and I'm gonna change the actual text. Mm. If you change the actual text, it's not even going to change on the page unless you resend that HTML or resend that text. Um, it's cool is the browser takes those nodes and it creates a tree-like structure that allows us to like, if I start at the top of the tree, so I have a some node that's a parent and it has some children. So these would be like rectangles you know, divs or elements that are inside of these other elements and I can get to them. And you were talking about, okay, how do I manipulate that? The DOM, its main purpose, aside from helping the rendering engine actually get something on the page, is as an interface um, for our JavaScript code that's running, that's being run by the browser. Our JavaScript code can actually manipulate and change what's on the page. It can change those nodes, those document nodes in the DOM in real time without actually the HTML that got sent being changed at all. Right. So so this is pretty crazy, right? This is... Yeah. It, it makes me sort of think of like, we, we've been talking about a model, right? It's mm -hmm. a document object model, right? And when you first learn about something for the first time, you sort of form these mental models of it, right? Let's say I wanted to learn how to make really good tacos or something, right? So I might read <laughs> a little article. Favorite. Oh, my yeah, favorite, my too. Favorite. <laughs> it's Taco Tuesday. No, it's not. It's not Taco it's Tuesday. Not it's Taco Tuesday. Wednesday. No, but it's, it's, it's Mexican Miercoles. That's what I call oh, it. Yeah. I love yeah, that. <laughs> I'm from Texas, uh, and so tacos are just my comfort food. Yeah, you have to have one for every day. I think that's the... I think so, yeah. Every day is taco day. But if you wanted to learn how to make tacos, you might read like a little article or a how-to or something mm -hmm. like that. And you're sort of creating this model for how you make a taco, what a taco is. And it's from some static text, right? Like that text isn't a model of a taco. That text article that you're reading it isn't a taco itself. It's just like a description of it, right? Mm -hmm. And your brain has to kind of take that stuff in. It turns it into these ideas and you create this mental model, but that's a living thing. You can sort of change that over time. You uh, try making tacos and you update your mental model with the results of the experiment. <laughs> you read other things, right? It's like, that's just the beginning the document and mm -hmm. then you have this model that evolves that i right? love the idea of it being this mental model it's like we can change our mental model right but what we read is not necessarily changing we're taking what we read putting it into a mental model so like i'm reading how to make tacos 
mental model of tacos. But then other information can come in and change that mental model, which that's a pretty cool metaphor. And I, I like that you bring up other information here because mm -hmm. that's the key here is that mm -hmm. the DOM is an interface, right? It's meant to sort of bridge this gap between HTML and JavaScript. And at first it wasn't even HTML and JavaScript, right? Like how did, how did this whole thing come about? It was supposed to be like language agnostic, right? Right. And actually the idea of a DOM itself is language agnostic, but when we think of a DOM, it's language agnostic, but when we talk about the DOM, <laughs> a lot of times we are talking about the document object model in a browser. And since JavaScript is generally the only language that we can run in a browser, um, it tends to happen that though the DOM is language agnostic, JavaScript is the language that we use to interface with it. And I like that you mentioned the DOM, the DOM, right? This like kind of keeps me, uh, this reminds me of how, maybe we're biased here, but when you say the city, that's New York City, right? <laughs> it that's, is New York that's City. New it York has city. to be. Like there could be cities. No offense to all you other big cities in there. Is New York City. And that's really interesting. So this DOM structure, this idea of like mm -hmm. taking this text, bucketing it into these elements and nodes and having children and parents and relationships between these things, this like interface of, of, of between a programming language and the actual static text on the page, that itself was built to be language agnostic. But mm -hmm. as years have gone on, it has become standard for the browsers to implement this dom purely for javascript in fact support for even flash is going to stop right yeah as of mm -hmm. 2020 in chrome so it's 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 really become a single language application and and their goal of the internet was to not do that though right that, that was the goal <laughs> of this was to be language agnostic the reason why the dom uh, wasn't built in javascript was because it was supposed to be language agnostic, it was supposed to work with uh, Java, it was supposed to work with Flash, it was supposed to work with any language so that you wouldn't bucket developers into one particular language. But mm -hmm. lo and behold, years have gone by and, and now we're like, all right, let's back up. But now we have the DOM written in some language agnostic, not even like language, it's more like an abstraction, right? It's really just an abstraction. It's it's an this mental model that we were talking about. What helps us interface with our JavaScript code is there is an API or application programming interface. Um, and it's this object called the document. And that's really the part of the DOM <laughs> that allows it to be JavaScript specific. Um, but I love that you brought this up that it's like the idea of a DOM is is language agnostic because I was doing a little bit of research and it seems that a lot of applications such as you brought up Microsoft Office earlier. So there is a DOM there. Mm. Like there's a DOM that is interfacing with what's shown on the screen and the data that the your words that you're typing on the screen is actually saved as. It's saved, I think, at least in part, maybe not everything in there as XML, which is a, a language that is actually very similar in structure to HTML. HTML being um, meant to actually show views and XML being meant to save and encode data. Mm. But so at many, there are DOMs that are meant for XML, mm. for example. So it is just this mental model of how do we take these data and convert it into an object that can be manipulated by some other language. It's just we, if you search the DOM right now in Google, you will pretty much like the first 20 results at least are only going to be talking about the DOM that you find in a browser that interfaces with JavaScript. I see. And so so 
really right now i mean that's that's awesome we see this thing the dom or a dom i shouldn't call it the dom right? <laughs> a dom everywhere and uh what i want to ask you is why do we care why do we need this interface between html and javascript like what is that even what does that do for us yeah so let's say that you are a user and you're on your favorite site whatever that happens to be and you click a button and when you click that button the browser knows that you clicked that button but the application that you're on may not know that you have clicked that button. Like that's really just the browser has some internal events that get fired when this happens. But otherwise, when you click on a button, there's no way for the developer, or there is a way, we'll talk about it, but we want a way for the developer to be able to interface with the DOM, with the browser, and know that that event has happened and perhaps like change something in response to that. So let's say I'm on a site and I am wanting to toggle some dropdown, right? And I click on that little carrot and that sends out that event. The developer would want to keep track of that event and be listening for that event. And we have to go through the DOM in order to do that because the DOM has these objects that's representing the thing that you clicked. And so we want to have track of the thing that you clicked, know what happens when I have that event fire, and then be able to do something with that. And I might want to then show some more things or not show some things. And so in order to show that dropdown as the developer, I want to actually add more nodes to the DOM. Because if we send an entirely new HTML page that has that dropdown, we're going to force the page to refresh, which is just not the best user experience. Like, that's old school. We don't want to do that anymore. So you're saying when we click this thing, when we click this button or carrot or mm -hmm. something, it changes visually what we see on the page. We see a new set of visual items, a list, a drop down, or something like that, right? Uh, but we don't just say, okay, well, something's <laughs> changed. Throw it all away and start from scratch, right? That'd be like, oh, well, you know, it, it turns out that you can use uh, pork and tacos too. I didn't know that. <laughs> right. Everything I know about tacos, tacos is a lie. <laughs> yeah. So, so we keep most of what's there. We just update the DOM. We don't change the HTML that we started with, right? We just manipulate some things in the browser with code, with JavaScript. Now, hold on a second, Jeff. I like this pork example. Okay. I, <laughs> I really like pork like, too. I, I, I don't like pork that much, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's like, I mean, I'd always pick chicken, I think, over blasphemy. Pork. Maybe yeah. Is that blasphemy? Really? It's I don't not know. blasphemy. I, you're just wrong. No, you're I'm just wrong. wrong. <laughs> um, okay, you guys are rude. Uh, so, I mean... I don't know, like pork. You know when pork's really good, like in like Chinese, like dim sum dishes. You mm -hmm. ever have like steamed Agreed. pork ones? Oh my god! Or are... soup dumplings. Soup dumpling, yeah, that's. Mm. I didn't I know guess... they were a thing until I moved here, oh, and man. I'm obsessed. And then you burn your tongue the first couple times, and then you kind of get into it. You just uh, what was I saying about pork? Oh yeah, so so, <laughs> so pork. Uh, I think this is good because because this sort of shows why we wouldn't throw everything away, right? Like we wouldn't mm -hmm. throw all our tacos away, right? In this case, our uh, cooking guide that told us about tacos and our brain, the one who's like learning about, which is sort of the DOM, the interface here for like making the food, which is, I guess, in this case, the JavaScript, we might have that feedback when we ate it that like, okay, maybe I would have preferred pork. And in that case, like the DOM would be responsible. Your brain would be like, okay, let's go ahead and update this book. I'm not going to throw away the entire recipe, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to update the part of the recipe that says chicken. And I'm going to mm -hmm. replace it with pork, right? And that's sort of what's happening here is this, these events that are being fired can trigger like 
different responses as long as we watch for that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I want to bring up right now? Uh, this is a really big concept in, in general in programming and I think in life and in, maybe not in life, maybe mostly in programming. <laughs> Getting deep. Getting really, maybe metaphoric. No, okay. Uh, but but this idea of the pub-sub pattern, I think is mm-hmm. a good time to bring this up. This These events that are happening, right? The, the, in this case, the browser is sort of responsible for knowing when we click. That's because it's mm-hmm. on our machine. It's installed like into your operating system so it knows when you actually click so the browser has the ability to sort of emit these Mm -hmm. events somebody clicked somebody scrolled somebody double clicked somebody put their mouse over this thing and all of the time right these events are sort of being emitted is that what's going on here like they're being emitted all of the time and nothing is happening i click on parts of my page and nothing actually happens like how could that actually be right like how, how does this actually happen that's a good question. So these, you said these events are being emitted, mm-hmm. right? And you talked about the pub sub pattern, mm. right? So this, this is half of it. Uh, we're talking about pub as in short for publish, yes, right? Or publisher, uh, not like the browser went to the pub and now it's you know, firing events all over the place. <laughs> um, so, so we click on something and it sort of like publishes this event. It's like broadcasting something, right? Making an announcement like there was a click here and it's like that old saying, you know, if, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, uh, I don't really care if it makes a sound or not, right? No, no one hears it. No one reacts to it, right? So if nobody's listening, if nobody's subscribed to that kind of event, then who cares, right? Great. You're shouting into a void. Is that that's what exactly, you're talking about? Yeah, here? yeah, I think that's exactly it. So, so really, we have to pay attention to these events. And then these events let us interact with this, this DOM API, as you mentioned, and, and actually update things on the page or, or, or do things in response to a user's actions, right? So that mm-hmm. was a really powerful tool early on with the DOM. So I guess the other half of that then is the sub, mm. right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is subscribe or uh, subscription. So you subscribe mm-hmm. to things, right? Uh, take, for instance, I guess, uh, Vogue magazine, right? Vogue magazine, I think gets published regularly. You have an avid subscriber of Vogue right, right yeah, here. I, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not talking about Karen, I'm talking about Jeff. <laughs> uh, I, I obviously wouldn't know how often Vogue gets published. I, I assume once a week or, or something like that, right? Um, so Vogue is being published all the time, but most people, it doesn't affect them. It doesn't just show up in your mailbox, right? You have to subscribe mm-hmm. to it in order to get Vogue, right? In order for your life to be affected in any way. And the browser is sort of the same way, right? If we want something to happen when someone clicks uh, or hovers or scrolls or interacts with the page in some way, we need to subscribe to that event. We have to say, when this thing happens, I want to react to it in this specific Mm -hmm. way. I want to open up that drop-down menu. I want the button's color to change or something, right? Right. And then the cool thing is that once we are listening for it, we then have the tools to do something about it. Like we're not just listening. It's like, oh, that thing happened. Good. I'm glad that thing happened. No, we want to then do something for the user. The user is expecting, based on our UX, something to happen when they click certain parts of the page. Unless they're like Corey and they're clicking everywhere and nothing is happening. But usually when you click something, (laughs) you're expecting a result. And so the DOM both gives us a way to listen on specific pieces of the document object model. So I'm listening on specific parts of my page, like the button or the carrot for the drop down or um, 
a link or something else. And when I click that, I then have the ability to change other things, which is great. I can both select parts of the DOM and then also manipulate them. I can create new nodes, which would be like new HTML elements. I can delete them. Um, I can traverse them, um, meaning that since the document object model is designed as a tree, I can you know, follow the connections between different nodes. So I can, I can go down to the children of, like say I want to click somewhere, like Corey was saying, randomly on the page, and I want it to have, I don't know, flying cats or something, which um, I've actually seen a page like that, and it's, it was a great, wonderful I'm experience. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, so maybe I do want it to click everywhere, and so I'm listening. I set up a listener to say when I click anywhere on the entire document, which we often call the body of the page. And so the body would be like the top level parent of everything else that's in there. So I can click on that and say, okay, now I want to create some cats. I want to create some cat elements. And I'm going to do that with my JavaScript by using some functions that are given to me actually by this DOM API, which is pretty cool. So we said it's language agnostic, but the most commonly used um, you know, interface for interacting with the DOM is very JavaScript based. So I can use those functions to create my cat elements, put them on the screen, throw them up in the air, have them meow. <laughs> and land safely, of and course. And land <laughs> perfectly safely, just having a little feet. bit of fun. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we should talk about what was life like before the DOM? Right. I so don't think we do want to talk. We about don't want to. This is a very scary time. I want to revisit that time, Corey. It was dark. Well, the 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 DOM itself allowed us to not have these static pages, right? It allowed us to actually interface. Like before mm -hmm. this, if we had any content, the HTML was sort of just there, right? We had crazy things like the blink tag, right, which was like <laughs> right. our only way of making things flash, which. I think is no longer continued for very good reason, uh, but but mm -hmm. but but didn't the creator of Blink say this was like the worst thing I've ever created? <laughs> like yeah. very much regretted creating the, Blink. Yeah. Do, does anyone remember right. the Blink tag? It was like this. I like, actually don't. No? no. It was like a flashing. Like all it did was literally take whatever content you had and turn it on and off. Like yeah. really retro websites <laughs> uh, had this thing, and it was uh, it was pretty. It was pretty bad, Tim Berners-Lee, so. <laughs> There's the marquee mm. tag, too. That's that's one of my favorites. Yeah. It just, like, scrolls across <laughs> from uh, right to left, I Does think, like a, like a marquee sign. I, I don't know if that one's support. I, I, I think probably. Know. That I saw. That didn't look as cheesy. It looked cheesy. Like, definitely mm. today it would look weird. It feels but, very, like, mid to late 90s, though. Yeah. There might be some that actually are discontinued, because something about the history of the DOM that we're talking about is, like, all the different browsers had different DOMs. Like when they first started, it wasn't even called document object model. They had there had to be some kind of model to convert even the earliest HTML like into something to be taken by the rendering engine. Like we still had to parse that text in mm. some way. Um, but it it was not called the document object model. Every single browser had kind of like a different thing that they used. Um, and I I forget the name of it. Unfortunately, the first one. The first one had a common name. Wish I had my computer in front of me right now. We could probably look it up. Are you hinting at me to look it up? Maybe. <laughs> is, that, is that what this is? The the are you talking about the the Web three consortium? No, it was before that. Like it was it was like kind of 
call like you can find it in the history of the dom like wikipedia i've heard page. of like dom level zero or something yeah like that. it had a few right. names and then i think it ended up being called dom level zero um is just kind of the initial dom and I, that i'm not sure if that name came before or after they decide hey let's get together and actually decide what the dom should actually be yeah i don't know so early on we saw like almost like two powers here right like fighting mm -hmm. it out on what was going to be successful right there was it wasn't just javascript early on that that mm -hmm. that, that that needed indirect. <laughs> there were two major browsers early on that were kind of competing for people's attention right it was it was netscape, netscape. by microsoft and mm -hmm. uh there was there was, was internet explorer. netscape navigator by netscape right and, and then and, and then internet explorer and then by, explorer by microsoft Right. Yeah, that would that would make more sense. That's that. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, we got to just we got to come up with some standard here. This is just bananas. And I think that's essentially what happened is I'm not sure if it was them two only or if it was actually more of a third party that then they decided to adopt. But uh, two specifications came out of that, essentially saying this is what the DOM is. And here's how the DOM should act. It's still up to the browser itself, though. So, you know, Long ago, Netscape. Uh, nowadays, we have Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Edge, Internet Explorer. And it's up to the browser to implement what that DOM should be and implement the document object model, hopefully <laughs> adhering to these specifications or these standards, because otherwise, it'd be very hard as a developer to work with it. And it's already hard for a developer to have to make sure that your app works on all of the different browsers. Right. Um, it actually has a very similar history to JavaScript, which was right. also implemented separately in all the browsers. And it took, you know, the ECMAScript, um, you know, convention to come together and create a specification or kind of like a rule book for JavaScript. Yeah, it, it is interesting that 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 it, at first it was like mayhem out here. Even with JavaScript, it was it was it, first of all it was originally ECMAScript. Sorry. No worries. No worries. <laughs> That's our in studio gong. <laughs> you know what that means. Taco time. <laughs> Taco time. <laughs> oh god, uh, our in studio. Yeah, we should get an in. Probably. Should get I don't a think gong. we could get funding for That's, a gong. We could. We could really I would like. I love to have a gong. <laughs> we could really amp up the energy on math time if it were. <laughs> math time. Blah. <laughs> So this early on uh, sort of specification, yeah. So I think early on with browsers, there were two things that they were major, like majorly supporting. One was mm -hmm. ECMAScript, right, mm -hmm. and which later named JavaScript. Later the name changed to JavaScript, right, and and. ECMAScript like was the standard that they came up with yeah, for, was, for JavaScript. It's called JavaScript first because Java was cool. So they so Netscape decided we're going to call this JavaScript, and then. Microsoft came out like, well, ours is called JScript, mm. <laughs> and then real was, original, right? Real original, and then they were like, okay, it was a few years went by, lots of frustration, and they came together and it's like, okay, let's have ECMAScript, which is the specification. It's still just called JavaScript, the language itself, but um, ECMAScript, or you might hear ES6, ES5, ES2015. These are all versions of the 
ECMAScript standard for JavaScript. Yeah. So ECMAScript was sort of like the Oxford Dictionary of English. I think we mentioned this in the past, right? Where it's like, it's it's, it's, familiar. it's a, a rule book of how English is supposed to be pronounced and said and, and the exact words, but we don't use all of them. We, we, we don't speak things exactly the same way as mm. the, the guide tells us to. We don't, we're not very conventional in every <laughs> sense of the word, especially myself, right? So, so I'm barely getting by guys. And, <laughs> and, and that, that's, that's, that's what's really cool about this. So, so this standard helped us fix that. We had JScript, as you mentioned, which was really close. I think there was LiveScript, which was a, a Java, uh, what do you call it, uh, scripting language. Oh, like, cool. So it was a Java binding for the DOM. So early on. So there was support for actually that actually had well. something to do with Java. Actually, Why wasn't that one called JavaScript? Right, right. I think uh, <laughs> they were probably a little bummed that JavaScript <laughs> was already taken. Yeah. So, you know. Seems almost rude. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's definitely, um, that's like I took on Instagram. I took um, HBO Comedy. Because yeah. HBO has like HBO Boxing. They have HBO. They have all their different ones. And a couple like years ago, I was like, I jumped the gun. I just took HBO Comedy. And occasionally I'll get the random it. follower that's just like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like uh, this is not what I thought it was. So this is, but then they follow and it's like, oh, I got to click unfollow now. And usually that's, that's how I get most of my followers. That's the accidental. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good uh, strategy there. I'd also say a little rude, but good yeah, strategy. Yeah, I'm, I'm Maybe basically catfishing. I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't want, I want the attention. So what are you, what are you into? <laughs> Clever playing on their own laziness like i'm not gonna unfollow yeah so so i guess so so okay i I get this idea of the dom i get this this interface that we sort of needed that was able to interact with a a sort of scripting language that could that could essentially manipulate the actual content on the page via some dynamic right way right like html when it's on the web page is is just sort of there but scripting languages or even languages and programming languages in general are dynamic. You can write logical statements as we've talked about, loops, um, control flow. We can like think about how we're going to actually execute things. And so now we have this ability to actually interact with the content that somebody sees in a dynamic approach. And that was really, really, really cool about the DOM. But this whole thing sounds really expensive. This sounds like an operation that would like, right? Like, as I mentioned before, with going from, uh, you know, our JavaScript or any language to a Microsoft Word document, it could take us some some energy or some time to actually do this thing. Like, we have to actually read from that document, convert it into, like, our native tongue, work with it in our native tongue, and then sort of convert it back into the document format, right? Or into the text document or something like that. And so this process of going back and forth must be sort of expensive, right? Is there a tactic that we can do to maybe minimize what we actually touch here? Like, it sounds like actually interacting is expensive, right? Or, or something, yeah. Yeah, the interactions are actually expensive because think about the applications that we use on a daily basis. Um, something that I think is important to bring up is that the browser was not meant for these sorts of applications. You know, it you know it was really meant for those kind of brochureware, static pages. Here's some information on the page, and now we essentially have desktop applications in our on our browser. And I like that you call them applications, right? It's, it's yeah. This idea of web apps is so like the, we used to call them websites, right? But now we it's like it's almost rude 
Like, like, <laughs> it's not a website. It's a web app, right? It's right. like it's, it's it's a big, you know, Google Maps was not a website. That's an application yeah. that's like feels like it might as well be on your phone, which it can be, or on your <laughs> like, you know, on your desk. It feels like a very powerful app. In fact, Maps were all, was one of the first like applications that we think of. And earlier we were talking about how we generally don't want to refresh the page in order to change it. And the idea is that that's a bad user experience. But now we have the ability because of the DOM, because of JavaScript to manipulate those pieces of the page and create what we call a single page application. And a lot of the things that we use, Google Maps, Facebook, Twitter, um, almost every site now is a single page application. But as you say, there's so many like interactions, like, you know, you have chat going on in the at the bottom, you might have new uh, tweets coming up on the page, you have all these things going on. So there's so many changes to that document object model, and it does actually get really expensive. Um, if we were, it would be really hard for us as like a developer to say, okay, I'm listening for these changes, and then I'm going to manually change what's on the page. Like it'd be a lot of code, it'd be not very organized, and we probably don't have the best way of making this an efficient process. Um, so this is one reason why we have front-end frameworks. So front-end frameworks are essentially like a lot of pre-made code that we use when we're um, building an application um, in JavaScript to be run on a browser that allows us to just say, here's what I want the view to look like based on what data I have. And I want you to take care of changing and updating the DOM. And so we're essentially saying, I'm going to let people that have entire teams, for example, using React.js, uh, it's a front-end framework built by Facebook. I'm going to let Facebook, who has a lot more money and time and engineers to work on this problem, actually do all of the work of updating the DOM. And I'm just going to use their tool to say, here's what I want my site to look like based on like what the user is doing and what data I have to show. And something that's also really cool about like React particularly that's starting to get implemented in these other frameworks is the idea of a virtual DOM. So let's say I have a taco <laughs> and I have steak on the taco already and I want to add tofu. The way that the DOM works now, if I want to change what's in my taco, I have to take everything out of the taco and then put everything back in. I'm not, ref I'm not making a new taco but I have to take everything out and then put new fillings into it. When really all I needed to do was what, add tofu or add pork. Mm -hmm. And that would have been the better operation to do. Um, so something a lot I of- I love this example, by the way. Tacos are the best. Yeah, this is, <laughs> it's taco day. It's really, it's gonna have to be. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea of a virtual DOM. So the mental model of the mental model <laughs> that this virtual DOM is something that is held in the memory of your program and is actually like creating this document object model, this tree actually with JavaScript objects. Mm. And it's able to look at it and say, what's the, if I change certain things with, which is faster within this mental model, what's the best way to change? What do I actually need to change in my taco? Like what fillings do I actually need to, put in here almost like a simulation but not quite it's more just like being a little more smart about what we need to change i love this so so going between javascript and html this idea mm -hmm. of the dom this a this api that you mentioned 
it's slow, it's expensive. And actually physically changing something in a text file takes time, right, and work. But this idea that React brought to the table was, what if we took this text that's already being bucketed into this JavaScript as these nodes and actually conceptualized it in just pure JavaScript? And we managed exactly what was on the web page in a complete replication of it in our own code. Now, whatever we're comparing, whatever changes we're making, we're sticking within our same language. We're not going to that Microsoft Word document every time to figure out what things look like. We're keeping our own record and our own copy of it. And then we can interact with that thing. And sort of like this middleman, React in this case, acts as the intermediary to go, okay, I see that you made a bunch of changes, but in reality, all you did was add tofu. All you did was add this one thing. So I'm not going to bother affecting all these other things that you would have manually touched, right? Mm -hmm. And and what's what I'd like to do here is sort of backpedal a little bit because this is sort of the end of the story, right? This is sort of like what we're sort of seeing as one of the most modern implementations of how we are uh, standardizing, sort of uh, interacting with this API, the DOM. But you mentioned two other things that I want to dive into. One, you mentioned single page applications. You talked mm -hmm. about this idea of behind the, behind the scenes, essentially being able to request information. And this wasn't really possible without the DOM, right? Like it, early on with websites, you would see like you'd be on a web page, even like a lot of media sites today, you're on a web page and you click a link and it brings you to another page. Like it's as mm -hmm. if the browser completely refreshes. But when you on Google Maps type in the location that you're going to, it doesn't actually refresh the application. It just sort of updates the look of it. There's no refresh occurring in the browser. And that's what that's that's sort of this breakdown of like what it means to be a single page app is you're able to retrieve some information behind the scenes by doing what you did in your URL bar by typing in, you know, give me Google Maps or maps.google.com or whatever the heck it is. Like you were able to make requests in the background, not through that URL bar on top of the page, but behind the scenes. And then using the DOM sort of update the view, right? Yeah. And you also mentioned that that there was sort of different implementations among browsers early on, right? With JavaScript even. On a Chrome browser, we might be able to say document, get an element by, you know, whatever type it is or like tag name or something. And it, it could be phrased differently on mm -hmm. every browser, right? So what was like an early like solution to this? Like it didn't just end up in React, right? We must have had some sort of progression. <laughs> yeah, so I'll start uh, talking a little bit about that part and then we'll circle back to the single page applications. Um, so we all know about jQuery. And what people don't always realize about jQuery is like what it actually does. And what jQuery is, is a lot of times it's just wrappers around these methods that help us interact with the DOM. But we already had that. So why did we even need jQuery? It was exactly as you said, different browsers were doing things completely differently. Like not only was the like the document object model at this point, I think did cover some kind of standard, but the interface between the DOM and JavaScript was not necessarily the same. JavaScript itself was not necessarily um, the same. And so jQuery was one of the first libraries that allowed easy cross-browser compatibility for the developer where I could just use a single library and a single function in order to find elements on the DOM and change them or to create them or delete them, anything like that. And that's one of the reasons it became so popular. And actually, the second reason it became popular goes along with the other thing that you brought up, Corey, about single page applications, these background requests. jQuery also gave us a tool to make these 
background requests easily in different browsers also, um, which was a bit of a newer technology than the DOM itself, um, but it did allow us to take fuller advantage of being able to change the DOM to make these single page applications. Um, if you want to, like on your favorite site, go and look at like the HTML that's actually showing on the page or the HTML that like was originally sent, a lot of what you see isn't going to be in it, which is actually pretty cool. It's almost like really what we're getting from the, t the server here is just a taco shell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now instead of getting the, the full taco from the server and saying like, I got a whole taco here, we're instead getting just the shell, like just the basic HTML structure. And now we're able to use um, all these front-end frameworks, whether it's jQuery, Angular, React.js, or just vanilla JavaScript, to fill in all of the pieces with the data that we're getting from these background HTTP requests, um, which is called Ajax. Mm, Ajax. So you might have heard the word Ajax, uh, not the Greek hero, or Roman, or Greek. Or the cleaning <laughs> guy, Ajax. Yeah, I guess, I guess the Greek hero is a little more uh, <laughs> meaningful. Than the Probably supply. less well known, though. <laughs> I think I, there might I, have also I only known been a from horse. a video game. All, actually, pretty much all of my mythology knowledge is from video games. That's video games employ a lot of a lot of mythology, but it's funny because it's always changed a little bit, and so I feel like I know all this mythology when really, really I, I don't. probably don't know. Anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I I trust that it. I play a lot of Civilization. I've been playing that since I was a little kid. And so I feel like my knowledge of history is probably very warped. <laughs> That's probably more accurate, though, than like, you know, in Smite. Final Fantasy games where, you know, the Aeons are named after various right. things from mythology, but it's completely different. <laughs> I think I've learned a lot about like what certain types of warriors were called and like different cultural things <laughs> and advancements and stuff. But then like... If I think about, oh, a war, you know, when, uh, I don't know, like the Egyptians conquered the Americans, it's like, mm, I probably didn't learn that in my <laughs> history book. That might have been a game of Civ I played 12 years ago. That lasted, right. that lasted like 12 years, probably. Yeah. You just finished that game. <laughs> just finished yesterday. That's my problem with that game. I, I it's really, very long. It's very con I'm not going to be controversial about this, but yeah. Oh, no, I can't even do it. I can't do games where I have to sit down for long periods of time. That's why I liked Rise of Nations, because it was like a real time Civ, you know, it was... It was, mm -hmm. if anyone out there still plays, hit me up. I really, <laughs> I'm looking, there's nobody online. There's no one on the server. Oh, it's so, so sad. It's very, it's very lonely. So, you know. So I like this idea of these front end frameworks. They, they sort of sound like almost personal assistants or something, right? It's like, <laughs> I, I want a, uh, I don't know, I want this in my fridge for dinner tonight, or like, I, I want um, my kids picked up at the mall or something like that and and like how it happens is not all that important to you like I'm not going <laughs> to tell you like you need to get in this specific car and like take this route to get to the mall or uh, you need to go to this grocery store and like buy these brands and stuff like the details are not as important as mm -hmm. just get it done right and that's it sounds like one of the things that we get from these frameworks right we get to yeah. not think so much about all the little details about how things happen it's like make it look this way or uh, you know, add an element that looks like this no matter what browser we're in if we're talking about jQuery. Right? Yeah, some, something that's really interesting to me is like kind of watching the progression over time of at first you know, the server did all the work. The server was taking mm -hmm. data, pulling it from the database perhaps, 
creating some HTML page with the data inside of it, sending that HTML over the internet to the client that requested it. The browser takes that data, parses it, creates the document object model, is able to render it, add some styling, and then you see it on your page. Over time though, the more and more of that logic and machinery is moving to the front end. Of course, servers are still extremely important in any like large computational um, task that you're going to do and managing your data is all going to be done on the server side. But more and more of like how you interact with the user and that interactivity is getting moved over to the like client end. And when we say the client end, we mean JavaScript, the part of the application that's being run actually by like the JavaScript engine in a browser as opposed to on a server machine somewhere. Mm. And so much of this logic, it's moving over. Like, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if it has anything to do with like, I mean, of course, of course, as the, I, th I think it has a lot to do with our machinery too, right? Like mm -hmm. how we can expect our clients to have better machines now than they did 10 years ago, hopefully, right? So, so we can expect their computers to do a lot more work. But it is really interesting to see how we're moving all of this work away from like the server dealing with doing this for every per and, it, and it probably is saving a lot of performance right because it's like oh okay if i have this one person complete this task it's a lot easier than having my server complete this task for every single person and that's a really good way of looking at it well sure it's like every person on their own computer has their own version of your application running which is pretty cool it's like as you change things and manipulate the page it's like they what they are seeing on their screen is like their version. And so we're able to run all these applications essentially in parallel because they're all on different machines. And that's just a really fun idea that now, you know, all we need from the server is like some data that's getting sent back and some HTML. And we're able to now on the front end, like put it together, and right? And so with the DOM, you, you can sort of think of using a browser and these web apps then as like you navigate to a page and it's like downloading an application, downloading a program that's just going to run in your browser <laughs> rather than being installed to your actual computer or something. Mind yeah. and, blown. And as browsers get better, like we take this completely for granted now, but as browsers get better, like I don't know if y'all have noticed that more and more of the applications you use aren't things you download. Like you're, we're using more and more things like just in the browser because the browser is getting better. I've heard some people claim that like even like native apps inside of your phone are becoming less and less necessary because they used to be and probably still are faster than say like a web application in the browser of your phone. But as the machinery of the phone itself gets better, as the browser gets better, it's we're losing the difference in the like which one's faster we're losing that difference in speed so this is pretty crazy right like we can just put essentially like the way we put a bookmark on our browser we could just put like essentially a bookmark that looks like an application like on our on our phone and then clicking mm -hmm. that we just open our browser and sort of go to that web page and it would feel completely like a native application uh, yeah. in some ways right in, in some ways there are certain things we can't do right now but yeah this yeah. is a great new thing called a progressive web app yeah. and i'm finding we're having more and more of our students like make progressive web apps for their final projects, which is always really exciting. It's like, it looks like you made a native application, but you were able to use the same like pieces of technology, the same, technolo uh, same tools as if you were just making a regular web app for a computer.
Right. Yeah. And and those are, I think, really cool. I love progressive web apps because they are running in the browser. They're taking advantage of the DOM mm-hmm. and JavaScript and all of that stuff. They don't have to run natively on your on your computer or on your phone, uh, but you can use something like caching. You don't have to download the whole thing every time. You can save a lot of it on your phone, and mm-hmm. it really actually acts like a native application. You can be on the subway without an internet connection and be using it as long as you don't need to, to download new data. You can keep using it as if it were a native app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to just clarify something here because we keep using this term progressive web app and I just want to verify like, so so what's the advantage here? Like why use a progressive web app as opposed to uh, a native app? Right or or like what does a progressive web app give us that maybe a native app doesn't give us is the other side of this question. Like we're talking about like the things that a progressive web app brings to the table. It sounds like a native app can do the same thing. Yeah, one thing is that we then don't have to download the app. The app doesn't have to live on our phone anymore we are able to, like, the progressive web app is not so much like, oh, I'm masquerading as a native app. It really is a web application, meaning I can get to it from any browser, right? So I can get to it on a computer. I can get to it on my phone. It means that any browser can run it. The developer didn't have to create multiple different apps because, you know, we've been talking about how to create a web application, we often are going to be using JavaScript, at least for the front end portion of it, because that's what browsers run. But for a native app, I would need to be using, you know, Objective C Swift, or, Swift yeah. or Objective yeah, C yeah. or and, Java yeah. if it's for Android. And that means that for Android and iPhone and have it like be in the browser on like someone's, you know, MacBook or something, I would have to write three different applications. That's bananas. Okay, so that definitely sounds like it, it makes sense to use a progressive web app. In a not, lot a, of not a great developer experience to have to write three <laughs> different programs right. that all do kind of the same thing in different environments, right? Yeah. A progressive web app doesn't care if you're on Android or iPhone or even Windows phone or whatever. As long as it's got a browser on it that can yeah. understand this program, works the same way it would on your desktop or your iPad. I swear, it always comes back to the same theme of laziness, right? Like that's <laughs> how jQuery came about too, right? Like uh-huh. that's like one of its main major functionalities was these differences between browsers. It's not like we as developers couldn't handle this. We could have said, if someone's using Mozilla Firefox, do it this way. If someone's using Netscape, do it this way. If someone's using Internet Explorer, et cetera, do it this way. And we could have made it work. But then people are like, this is ridiculous. And and jQuery's functionality just said, you know what? If you just use this library, which is just JavaScript, someone else wrote some JavaScript, and then you're just going to use their JavaScript. You're going to talk to their JavaScript. And as long as you go through us, you're not going to worry about the browser differences anymore. And that's mm-hmm. what, to me, like progressive web apps sound like. It's like, look, Android phones are using Java. You know, Apple's stuck in Objective-C Swift. It's, you know, browsers are HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. We can all just be happy here if we just <laughs> stick to browsers. How's everyone feel about that? And more and more people are moving toward this idea because for for younger companies, for startups, mid-size, they don't have the ability to fund 40 different applications, right? It's easier to build one application that sort of responds on every single device. We're even seeing this stuff on desktops too, right? Mm-hmm. Electron is a really powerful and popular desktop application framework that has a DOM, right? It uses HTML, it uses CSS, and it uses JavaScript. And if you're a programmer, you're familiar at least with uh, applications like Visual Studio Code is one of the most popular editors right now. That's an Electron app. Visual Studio Code is written in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Likely. That's so cool. Yeah. 
And so is so is uh, Slack, isn't it? Yeah, yeah is, I think so. Slack yep. is also written in electric. So this is great. Most of you probably, if, if you're working now or at any company that's updated what they're using to communicate that's not email in the last five years, you're probably using Slack as your main form of communication. And so what's really cool is like that's just a thin wrapper around what your browser is <laughs> doing, right? It's not mm -hmm. it's not like really native to your desktop machine. It's sort of just spawning this faux browser. This faux Google Chrome and and drawing it out, um, but you know there's there's some disagreements on on the performance of this and that that talk we could have a whole another day. Yeah, it's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a different. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you know we, we we've talked a little bit about maybe in the future we'll get into that, but you know I think I think we're all craving maybe tacos or something now. So <laughs> taco time, taco time for uh, some breakfast tacos. That definitely is something oh, that I really so miss. Good. Breakfast yeah. tacos. If y'all have not. Gotten to have breakfast tacos. Which can you is, tell Karen's not from from around here? From you know New what? Y'all has been spreading. I hear more and more people that are native to the north using not y'all. I use it a little bit. I think we should all adopt I, it. I just uh, say it with a drawl. It's, <laughs> it's like I don't have much more of an accent except for my y'all. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I I did start saying y'all. I would kind of blame it on you. I think. I think it's very possible that I hear you it. I'm like, she do it because it pretty of me. Cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty Corey cool. just that wants to be like me. That's my goal. Be like more like Karen. Maybe someday. I think one, maybe some. Maybe are you Karen's clone? Ooh, yeah. This is <laughs> the if you just thickens. flip one chromosome. Um, okay, all right. We're getting to bio, that's the start of our bio informatics <laughs> right. talk. Right. Uh, okay. The next time we have you on the podcast, you have to promise to tell us: Are you the real Karen? Did I did I tell you I convinced um, one of our coworkers, John, yeah. that uh, my name was Corimos? And I'm not even he literally believes that my name was Corey Mo. That's not fair. And John's John's not from this country. And, and he's no, from England. He's they, from England. And they have funky and, names there. And that my parents called me Corey for short. Anyway. What goes in a breakfast taco? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So eggs and whatever else you want. So I like perfect. putting eggs and beans and um maybe like either sofritas or bacon mm, <laughs> and then salsa bacon. Mm -hmm. yeah Some hot it's sauce, just good uh, you got to have lots of butter and cheese in there and it sounds amazing i just miss it a lot you can't find good breakfast tacos here all right well thank you so much for coming in karen yeah like yeah, it was, it was for awesome having, having you here very fun yeah so we'll, we'll we'll party it up with karen again soon uh, and you, you all will we'll deal with Jeff a little longer. And <laughs> thanks all for putting up with me. So we'll see you all uh, next week for our season finale. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. If you're enjoying Teched Out, you might know other people who would enjoy it too. Help them find us by sharing the podcast on social media. And remember to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this on right now, so you never miss a new episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at tech underscore out. That's T-E-C-H-D underscore O-U-T. And as always, thanks for listening.